We're going to pick up where we left off last week. And here we're going to talk, mainly we've just been talking about some stuff from the day-to-day life of Jesus. Just trying to capture more of his humanity, if you will. Uh, we, we focused for several weeks on a divine part, his divine role, uh, and things like that. We tried to wrestle last week with a little bit uh, of unanswered questions, or unanswerable even, of in, you know, how do you mesh together fully human and fully divine, and when does that happen, and all of those things. And, you know, we all have opinions and feelings on that, and valid reasons for those opinions and feelings, even though they're not all the same opinions and feelings, which is kind of par for the course when we try to figure out God. You know, you're just not going to figure it out, and God does not feel compelled to explain in all details his nature and how everything works. And it probably is because uh, we just never get it anyway. You know what I'm saying? He goes, you're not going to understand it. You can't understand it. Uh, so don't worry about it. But it is kind of interesting and, and, and tough to feel, figure out a little bit about him. But we're going to focus a little bit more on, uh, on his humanity. Now, of course, Jesus was born in... Bethlehem, we can pretty much get that one. You ever take one of those tests online? How much do you know, you know? And that's like one of the questions. I'm going, doesn't everybody know that one? I mean, good night. You watch Charlie Brown Christmas, you get that one uh, (laughs) type of a thing. But I did not realize something interesting about Bethlehem. Of course, there was, you know, the prophecy and all of that sort. Now, even though Jesus didn't spend much time there, and I doubt he has any fond memories of it, but why Bethlehem? Why did even the prophecies? Rabbinical writings talk that Bethlehem was a place set aside uh, by the, 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 those who ran the temple. It's only a few miles outside of Jerusalem. It is specifically for raising sacrificial lambs. Um, they had the lambs that would come to the temple to be sacrificed. And, and, and you know, they, even people would come to the temple, and we, hopefully if we have enough time, we'll get to this later. Uh, they would have to buy their sacrifices, maybe because they were traveling and they didn't bring with them, or they weren't in the lamb business in the first place. And so they didn't have these things. They would buy the Bethlehem was a place that was set aside for this, and part of this was because um, it's, 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 a, it's a kind of a weird thing. Uh, but when you get really, really, really legalistic with the laws, um, these types of things creep up. That they figure out that shepherds were known as probable thieves. And what I mean by thievery is the fact that they, how do I know one of your sheep has not grazed into someone else's property and eaten their food, their grass? And it's not your grass, and you have basically been stealing from them. But we have this place in Bethlehem where it, was, it would be sectioned off, and these sheep were special. Now, this is not a new phenomenon. My great-great-great-grandfather, well, actually, he wasn't my grandfather. My great-great-great-grandmother's first husband. Okay, they had like six, seven kids, then he died, <laughs> and then she married another guy and had another six or seven kids, and that was where my lineage comes from. Okay, but this guy... Uh, he was, he was, and this is in Texas, uh, he was a Catholic, and he went to the Catholic uh, church to help them at work on the building or do something. While he was doing that, his 
horse or mule, I don't know it's kind of which one, kind of grazed into the church graveyard and ate some holy grass. <laughs> and so the church was charging him for that. And he, he did not appreciate that. And under no certain terms, told them, you know, different things, as Texans might do from time to time. And so they excommunicated him from the Catholic Church because of his horse eating holy grass, and he would not pay restitutions. And then that's actually how he then converted to the Church of Christ. <laughs> God moves in mysterious ways. I don't know. <laughs> but true story, a part of our family lore. Uh, but but they would. this is how they would keep the sheep from eating someone else's grass. But it is cool just to think about Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. That's what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus coming. He was born in a city that was identified as a place where sacrificial lambs come from. Which is kind of a cool little thing. I never knew that. So he's born in Bethlehem. We know they take off to Egypt. Uh, they, they're there for a few years. Sometimes when you read it in the Bible, you don't recognize it's that long. Uh, honestly, again, we get back to, I think that's what the whole gold, frankincense, and myrrh gifts were all about. I think God was providing for Joseph and Mary and Jesus. They had no idea. They thought, we're going to go to Bethlehem, register for the census, and get back home. That was their plan. They had no idea Jesus was going to be born and that Herod was going to try to kill him and that an angel was going to say, go to Egypt and that they're going to have to stay in this foreign country for two years or more until Herod dies. God knew that, so God goes, I'll get these wise guys to come and they'll give them these gifts. And now they've got money. They've got something that they can live on as they go on in. They come back and they move back to Nazareth, and that's in Matthew 2, 23. Nazareth uh, is a a hillside uh, type of a village about 12 miles southwest of the Sea of Galilee. Most of the people in that town were farmers. It was a very fertile land known for that. Um, Excavations of Nazareth uh, shown basically about how big it was, about 2,000 feet at its greatest east-west and about 600 feet greatest north-south boundary. So how do you know that? It's because they find the graves. And nobody would bury them inside the city. The graves were outside. So they find the closest grave here and the closest grave here. And they say this must have been where the city was. Okay. And so it's a small town. Somewhere around two to 400 people, they estimate, living. Jesus was definitely a small town uh, boy. And it was a type of situation where everybody, you know, it's a small town. What, what are some of the uh, dynamics that go with small town living? Everybody knows knows your business. That's right. You have an argument with your wife, at least 35, 40 other people are listening (laughs) to the whole thing. They're getting it live. By tomorrow morning's breakfast, another 50, 60 people know. And then by lunch, the whole town knows. uh, But this is is where he was raised. He's going to have some struggles with that town a little bit later. Um, there was a town, though, a few miles away that we don't really know, I mean, hear about in the Bible. Uh, I'm trying to get the pronunciation, uh, Sephora. Uh, it was probably where Jesus and Joseph worked. Okay, it would have been, again, we mentioned last week, Jesus would have been raised as a construction worker, carpenter. Again, that, that word carpenter is more accurately maybe translated builder. Okay, and even... 
judging by what's going on around there in the building materials, this is not the piney forest, you know. It would have been, he probably would have worked a lot more with stone. But he may have had a specialty in woodworking, uh, we don't know. But um, there was a, it was a, Herod the Great uh, took over different things and they were building a great, uh, uh, built great city. I mean, there was amphitheaters, there was a palace there, there was all types of things there. A lot of building. And so it would have made sense. There's not a lot of work in a town of 400. But right nearby, there was a very growing place, basically because of Herod uh, and some things going on uh, in that town. Uh, so there you have it. That's where Jesus kind of growing up. They spoke Aramaic, uh, and that was the, that was the basic uh, the, the skill, and they're taught to read and write and so on and so forth uh, concerning uh, uh, basically from the law and the Jewish temple. They did not have a school system like we have. Uh, that was not part of their structure. Uh, everything was done through the temple. Uh, pretty much probably uh, torn down, not torn down, uh, destroyed in a great earthquake that happened about 363 A.D., which is where we lose other cities. But then he moves, before he starts his ministry, to Capernaum. This is something I didn't know. I, I, I didn't realize he moved from Nazareth to Capernaum. We see this in Matthew 4.13. It says, leaving Nazareth, he went to live in Capernaum, which was uh, by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali. Uh, then he starts his ministry. I don't know why he moved. There are some things that we can kind of speculate on. Uh, it seems because really after Jesus' birth, we don't hear about Joseph again. And then if you remember later on, it will mention Mary... It will name his brothers. It will mention he has sisters, but it never mentions his dad again. At his death, his father is not there. So it's speculated that somehow Joseph passed, and it may have been that that's why they moved. Maybe Mary had family or something like that that caused all of them. And, and they were much more tribal than we are in a sense of if mama moved, we all move. You know, we, we stay together as much as possible. But there's really no really reason given. That's just speculation. Yes, ma'am. Does Josephus have anything about that? He could. I don't know about it if he does, about what happened to Joseph. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. So Jesus begins his ministry. Uh, when he starts it off, we have problems. People hear about it. They hear about his ministry. They accuse him of going crazy. He's lost his mind, and they act upon that belief. They try to take charge of him because he doesn't know what he's doing. Somebody read uh, Mark 3, 21. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Go ahead in 22 as well. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. Now, he's starting out, and again, why are these guys coming down from Jerusalem? Because people are taking notes. Something's going on here. Maybe somebody sent for them. Come check this guy out. Now, the word translated family could as equally be translated associates or people. And even sometimes in our culture, we'll say instead of their family, they'll say his people, which we mean family, 
But it could be kin, it could be more than just immediate family, it could be more extended, it could be whatever. Or it could have been the people that he lived around, his, 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 his associates, as it were. But they're thinking he's out of his mind, okay? And then they're calling in the pros, uh, you know, the teachers of the law, blah, blah, blah. They're saying, yeah, he's of the devil. And uh, it's by the prince of demons that he's driving out demons. Now, I have seen some magicians that I have accused being of the devil because how else could they do those things? Um, but they're being very serious here. Then we see in John 7, it gets far more personal. Uh, it says his own brothers. Okay, again, we could say brothers. Is that your fellow Jew brothers or whatever? But somebody read uh, John 7, 1 through 5. After this, Jesus went around Galilee. He didn't want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Okay, that's good. What do we learn from this passage about Jesus' ministry and how it's getting started? All right, is there's conflict? All right, his own brothers didn't believe in him? Yes, ma'am. Okay, well, this, at least some of the Jewish leaders... Um, Whoever they were, which are probably the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they wanted him dead, right? Anybody, anything else? What did we learn? Okay, and we're going to learn that. I mean, obviously, he does continue to preach. Yeah. Now we look at one. He does have some believers. We learn. Yeah. I. Uh, I believe that uh, the, the charge he is out of his mind was that his teaching was contrary and not popular and uh, very much against uh, the normal flow of normal Jewish okay. thinking. It was very radical. Right. Very scary. But on the other hand, somebody believed in him because they're saying, go to Galilee, I mean, go to Judea so that your disciples can see what the work you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Jesus wanted the word out. And his followers, those that did, they understood that, and they're trying to help him out. They're saying, look, you don't want to do this in secret. If you stay here, you've got to do it in secret, because if you don't, they're going to kill you. Go over there, you can preach. You can get it going. You'll get a lot more followers. So there was this conflict, and it wasn't him by himself. He is gathering a following, but there is... Uh, great um, persecution building. The brothers, uh, he, the, there were some brothers that were saying go, and then for his own brothers did not believe in him. How do we interpret all that? We could, I mean, James later becomes very pivotal in the first century. His brother James, not James the Apostle. His brother James. Um, but he had several other brothers Maybe some did, maybe some didn't. Maybe it took them a while, just like many of us. Uh, you know, we, many of us didn't say, 
Oh, Jesus is Lord the first time we heard the gospel. It took a while uh, to, to really start to sing in. So he goes, let's have a homecoming. He goes back to Nazareth. Mark 6. 1 through 6. Who's got that one? Okay, so here we got Jesus in Nazareth. Right, the Bible says that they were both astonished and offended <laughs> at Jesus. They saw Jesus heal people, but they couldn't get past the fact that they knew his mom, they knew his brothers, they knew his sisters. Remembering back on old class two or three, what else might they be thinking about Jesus? Okay, yes, ma'am? Maybe a disrespectful child because he walked away. <laughs> he was a disrespectful child. Got lost in Jerusalem. Yes, sir? He was conceived out of wedlock. He was conceived, yeah. It's a bigger thing in this community. Yeah. And nobody's buying the whole Holy Spirit story at this point. <laughs> okay? And they're going, who does this guy think he is? You know, I don't know. But they're taking some sort of an offense. After all... He was, to them, he was a carpenter. Mm -hmm. To them, he was this kid that grew up in front of them. That's who he was to these guys. He didn't have a proper academic credentials. So, here's a question. Do we see the uh, no prophet is accepted in his hometown type of dynamic played out today? And if so, why do you think it is? Yeah, why do you think so? Sometimes you know the person, and that you know I know who you, where you come from. I know what you did. I know all these things about you. So I can't believe that you've now. And I'm just talking about people nowadays. You've changed your life to become this holy person that now can't do any wrong or anything. Okay. I think they see things from the past and they hope that it doesn't stay. Okay. Sometimes we admit it out of this character. Now, yes, because maybe you made mistakes in the past, not getting over that. Okay, yeah, anything else? What are some of the dynamics maybe you feel or you've wrestled with? I think a lot of times it comes back to that small town mentality, too. Of, well, nobody from here has ever done anything. Like <laughs> what, what makes you think you're so special? Well, that, that was kind of even a critique. Dude, this is from Nazareth, for crying right. out loud. Yeah. 
Um, you know, it, it's kind of like sometimes it is amazing. Like we hear about a big superstar, yeah, and they go, yeah, they came from this Yahoo little town in Oklahoma, and you go, French Lick, Indiana, or French Lick, Indiana. <laughs> we all know Larry Bird, but you go French Lick, Indiana. Well, of course he's a super. They had nothing else to do there but play basketball. Uh, <laughs> there's also that thing. Yeah, it's like we love to pigeonhole people. And I've already pigeonholed you. I know who you are. This is what you're going to do in life. But there's also that thing, and I even heard this dynamic uh, recently. You know, someone said, I have a, they had a, uh, we have a Chicago values. And somebody asked, what does that mean? Because that means when people go, I know who you are. Don't get all high and mighty. I played ball with you in the streets when you were a kid. Don't get, no, 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 no. And it's like everybody, it's my job to keep you humble. Um. And Jesus is running into all of these things in his hometown. I love, though, the last thing it says. On Jesus' worst day, he's better than us. Because I love it. All he can do is heal a few people. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was only a few. I'll just say, on his worst day, he's still better than I am. Uh, but, but it was how, yeah, you know, he, and, and this is one of the few times, remember we've all, often talked about there's only two times, or only thing that Jesus has ever said that he was amazed with people. And it wasn't their talent, it wasn't their ability, it wasn't their influence, it was always their faith. And it was either he was amazed at their lack of it, or amazed at their great faith. But that's the only thing that impresses God. Okay. Our talents don't impress God. Our, you know, our looks, our money, our success, our titles, none of those things impress God. I mean, how are you going to impress God, right? Oh, you made that. That's great. <laughs> Faith is the only thing that impresses God. And here Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith because they saw his miracles. They saw stuff. And they were even astonished at it. But I just can't get past it. A lot of it is pride as well. Um, going quickly about Bethsaida. One of those towns that wasn't even discovered or rediscovered until the 80s. It was lost. The earthquakes, they feel like, just kind of swallowed it up or whatever. Um, the, the name of the town is House of Fishermen. Um, what do we know? Does anybody know? Can you think of anything about that city that's, that's special about Bethsaida? Yeah, exactly. Some, 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 uh, some interesting things happened there. First of all, it was home to at least five of the apostles. Okay, anybody know who they are? Peter, Andrew, Philip. Come on, you got Peter, Andrew. Nathaniel. Who are who are the always who are the four big ones that always go Andrew, together? Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and Philip. There you go. You had Philip. He was kind of the outlier, and you got him. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and Philip. Maybe some others, but these are the guys. Bethsaida was a coastal town there on the Sea of Galilee, which is really not a sea but a lake. But you know, give me a break. Now, and uh, these guys came from there. That also, though, and, and I'm going to skip all of this junk. Uh, except for the fact that when they did discover it in 1987, a guy was actually building a big Christian resort 
But over in the Holy Lands, you can't do that unless there's an official office there of, of, of the Israeli government that has to come in and do all of these preliminary digs to make sure there's nothing holy or archaeological you know, sites because there's so many of them over there. And boom, they found Bethsaida. Uh, and so they, they blew this guy's uh, whole, whole plan. But uh, they, they found a Roman pagan temple there. Okay, in this very, very Jewish town. Um, they, they talked about how, I mean, they would find these, you know, uh, uh, shapes, uh, bronze shapes and different things like that, terracotta figurines um, uh, who, who resembled uh, Julia, the wife of uh, Augustus, the Roman emperor, and uh, all of these different times of things. They were talking about uh, uh, this place. Now, now, you think about these things, a, a Roman pagan temple built in this town, again, a very small town, what social effect do you think that that would have on the people there trying to live out their faith in God? Devastating. Huh? Devastating? Okay. Persecution. All right, might be persecution. Although the Romans tended to, as long as you didn't cause trouble, they would pretty much try to leave you alone. That was kind of their... Uh, M.O. We like things to be calm. <laughs> kind of like the mafia. Just keep it calm. No problem. We can just keep doing what we're doing. That was kind of their mentality. You know, they're Italians. <laughs> Did that record? Um, but the ruler, Philip, himself a Jew, he had erected this Roman to temple to a Roman goddess right there in town. Now, again, remember we talked about the Pharisees? Their whole thing was exclusion, staying as far away. And it wasn't just a, this permeated throughout the Jewish community. Right here in my little town, they pick my town to build this big temple to a Roman goddess. Didn't build it in these other towns. All right. I don't know. It's got to be a slap in the face at least every day. And I'm trying, and you're my conqueror. I I got nothing to say about this. You've been here for a few hundred years. Okay. And we are a conquered people, because they are at this point, and they're right there. Now, okay, we're going we're gonna to go to the next step, but yes, ma'am, you had a comment. Well, you know, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just one of many kind of weird ways to think about it. That's my assessment, being that they have all these plaques and markers and showrooms set up, and I'm trying to say, um, we talked about this in one of our meetings. Right. That kind of thing in my faith is challenging, not because I'm concerned that, you know, their gods or whatever are taking over. I'm challenged by the faith. I'm challenged by their worship. I'm challenged by how they set up their homes and what they mean. And it's to be handled a certain way. Now, you can look at that as some consequences, whatever, but it challenges me. Mm. Right. And that kind of faith that you're talking about, that um, in touch with God, um, it challenges me. Right. To have that kind of if it is indeed faith, and I don't know, I don't want to judge their hearts. No, no, I mean. Right, but yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about, though. Yeah, and, and how it, it challenges. If my God called me to do that, would I be doing that? Um, but these are people, we don't understand, guys. 
as a nation, we've never been a conquered nation. We've never had somebody come into our country and say, there's no more United States. Okay, we are now in charge. And we'll let you have your little church, but we're going to build one right next door to it. That's going to make it look puny and small. And we're going to do something that totally offends you there. And guess what? You can't do anything about it. Now, these things happen. Now, Jesus, he does a lot of stuff in Bethsaida. Okay, he, he feeds. This is where he fed the 5,000. He's healing people. Uh, I think the, uh, a man born blind or lame to walk. One of those two, I can't, I can't remember right off the top of my head. But he, he does, yeah, uh, heal the blind man, fed thousands, all of these different things. He's doing some big stuff there. Okay, when you feed 5,000, that's impressive. But who hears about that? Probably about 20 or 30,000. Because <laughs> all the five are going to tell somebody. All of this stuff's going on. And then Jesus says in Mark, uh, Matthew 11, verse 20, Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed. Most of his miracles. Because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For the miracles that were performed in you had been performed. If they had been performed in Sire and Titan, well, uh, Sidon, rather, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. I tell you, it's going to be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And he goes on. Now, I, I think one thing is like, man, there is a, a response and an answer that Jesus wanted. But I think in this town, and then I, I think, well, maybe Peter, Andrew, James, what possessed them to say, I'm leaving my nets, I'm going with this guy. See you later, Dad. Maybe they had had it up to here with the Roman rule and the goddess temple and all the stuff that they, that they were finding. We're going with this guy. What does that mean? I'm going to be a follower of him? No, more than that. I mean, I, when I say I'm going with him, I'm, that's not metaphorical. I'm going with him. <laughs> they, because sometimes we read that and we go, wow, that's, that's kind of impressive. It's also leaving your entire uh, livelihood. Whatever, yeah, your, your friends, your family, your life, whatever family they had. We learned later Peter had a wife. I don't know if he had her then or if he, you know, got married later, but you know, I don't know. But that was a dramatic thing when Peter, Andrew, James, John, and, and Philip said, I'm going with him. I'm following him. I'm walking with him. We're doing this. Jesus wants to be a public figure. He wants people to know. He wants things to go on. He's gathering. He's doing incredible miracles, and he's getting guys that are going, enough. Got to do something. We're going with this guy. They didn't quite know what they were getting into at the time, um, but they went. They took care of it. I mean, they went with Jesus. I don't know. Sometimes I try to make sense of their that decision, which seems to be very spontaneous, almost uh, impulsive, which I know that they had heard Jesus before. But even if they had heard him before, that's a pretty radical change to just get up and go. What motivated that? And when I look at the city, and then I go, Jesus didn't say, woe to you, Nazareth. 
you raised me, and I did these things, and now you don't believe in me, it'd be better for He didn't say that to Tyre and Sidon. I mean, uh, to Nazareth. He, he said it to Bethsaida, though. Something was going on there, which is kind of cool. Uh, we're in our remaining time, I do want to get into some of the political pressures. We're entering into a presidential year. Like it or not, political pressures affect us because we live in the society we live in. Okay, and unless you just pack up and move to the upper Montana or North Dakota or whatever, it's going to affect you. It will affect you a little bit up there, but not as much. Let's go to Herod's temple. Now, some people call this the second temple. That actually almost everybody does. The third, actually. But it's actually the third. Thank you for that little foreshadowing. Um, so what's going on? And, and you really got to think about it. The first temple gets destroyed. Okay, Babylon comes in, wipes it out. Later on, according to Ezra and, and all of these different... Well, Nehemiah does what? They come out of captivity. The Assyrians are now in charge. you got Cyrus the Great. Uh, the, the, the Jews are in captivity. Babylon took them off, but Assyria conquered them. So that's kind of, you're still in captivity. you just got a different captor, different king. They had a different mentality. Babylon's mentality was, we crush you. <laughs> I don't know. Why am I going to do a Russian accent? He, they, 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 it's, it's like Drago from Rocky. Is, I must break you. But that was their mentality, and we will control you, and we will strip you of all your culture and your language, and we will do all of that stuff to you. That was their approach. Okay? The Assyrians had a different approach. They were like, look, I'll let you have your own culture. I'll let you have your own language. I'll let you have your own religion. As long as you pay tribute and don't cause any problems, we're good. And uh, by the way, if we do get in a war, we need you to come help us. Okay? But... Well, I'm good with it. So they had a different attitude. So Nebuchadnezzar, uh, not Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Nehemiah makes a request to do what? No, nah, not the temple. The wall around Jerusalem. Yeah. So he goes back and, 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 and Cyrus goes, yeah, I'm going to help you pay for it. And they go back. and be, Now, who goes back to build the temple? Ezra does that. They're very contemporaries. It's around the same time. And uh, so they go back and build this temple. Well, if Herod's is the second, well, no, Ezra's is the second. Okay? Now, when he gets the foundation laid and everybody comes and, and, and they're looking at it and they're kind of celebrating, but there's something else going on. Does anybody remember? And, and I've got to confess, I don't have the reference to this because I just thought about it the other night. But how did they respond? Yeah. It was both weeping and joy. So why were they weeping, Jim? Because some people remembered the glory of the old temple, and they were so disappointed that this was just a cheap copy. Okay. Now, we can think, well, you know, give me a break. But, but, but they were gonna, this isn't anything like it was, but that's the one they had. Herod, several hundred years later now, comes on and goes, let's build a big one. One that rivals like the one you had before with Solomon. Okay? Let's get the big, you know, temple. And we could think it's because Herod's such a great guy and he's so, you know, uh, Jewish faith and everything else. Uh, the truth is, is he goes, look, I keep the Jews happy. Plus, 
He built a lot of stuff. He was a building dude. He built a lot of temples, a lot of palaces, a lot of places. It was his reputation. It's what, is that you, Lord? Find the button. Ah, okay. Where is it? I know, I hate that. It's your voice. And so he, build, he, goes, to build, uh, he goes to build this temple. Uh, and, and so he, he gets to it, and he gets the idea to do it. And this is somewhere around 20 to 19 BCE. He gets the idea, we're going to build this temple. Now, the challenge is, how do you think the Jewish people responded to this? They didn't trust him. We think this is a ploy. You just want to tear down our temple. And so he has to convince them, no, I'm really going to build you a better. Why would you do that? You know, this doesn't make sense. You know how if somebody came to you and say, hey, we're going to do an extreme home makeover. We're going to tear your house down and build you a bigger one. I want some assurances. <laughs> you know, it's just a guy pulled up to my house and said, hey, we'll do this for you. You know, give me, give me some assurances. They want some so what he had to do is actually get all the materials, buy them, and have them kind of delivered on the outskirts of town. and said, look, there's your new temple. I'm doing it for real. And they finally said, okay. They tore it down. And because it was such a big deal, it took about a year and a half, they rebuilt the primary structure. It took 80 years to finish the whole project. Okay? I mean, little stuff. You know what I'm saying? The primary structure, and then they kept building on after that. Only priests were allowed to work on it. We're talking about 20,000 people. They had to go find people and bring them into town to build on it. But Herod gets this thing. Now, what does that do to the political environment between the Jewish people and the Roman people and Herod? What does it do? Draws them together? Pacifies them, makes them less resistant to what Herod wants. Maybe. It could pacify them. Imagine yourself. Some of you, this will not be difficult. You are not completely happy with or supportive of the current political environment. Okay? You wish it was different. However, you got to admit... You're making more money and your taxes are better, less taxes now. Now I'm conflicted. I don't like the current political system, but it's doing something for me. So now you add in religious into this, religion into this. I don't like Rome. I don't like Herod. I don't like what they represent. On the other hand, they built us this really cool temple. I mean, it totally outshines the one we had, we've had for hundreds of years. He didn't charge us for it. Oh, I mean, he just did it for us. Therefore, I'm really conflicted about this guy. Because on one hand, he's helping, but on the other hand, I can't get, so how do I do it? So these are some of the tensions that even Jesus is feeling. Because it's some of the tensions that the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law, who, by the way, as we're going to see here in the next two minutes, make a ton of money off of this temple. A ton of money. Matter of fact, they're the major bank. The temple is the major bank in Jerusalem. They don't have First National and Chase and all that. They got the temple that Herod provided and everybody comes to. So Jesus starts saying, I'm going to tear this temple down. 
Exactly. Whoa, 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 whoa. Pump the brakes there, Lord. All right. Yeah, you know, you start thinking, ah. Especially if you're not just dealing with my faith, you're dealing with my faith and my livelihood. All of these things start rolling together. And what Jesus is dealing with um, and, and doing this. So he goes to the temple. A lot of times it's about the time of Passover. Thousands of people come in. In John 2, uh, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle sheep. You know, And this is where he makes the whip, and he drives them out. And he says, stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. What's going on here is this. A, he is in a place called the court of the Gentiles. Okay? He's not in the... It's, it's a court of the Gentiles, which was for A, proselytes, who were not Jewish-born, but converts to Judaism. And it was from out-of-towners, which I don't really know if you're a real Jew or not. And so I can't really let you in, uh, but we got this place for you. This is where they set up the money changers. And what they did was this. Okay, first of all, this is God's temple. We cannot allow graven images in here. So all of these Roman money and Roman coins that have images of the emperor and stuff, they're not allowed. Therefore, you must exchange with us. Okay? And uh, you got to get the appropriate temple money. Temple coinage. It's kind of like dolly dollars. You know, back in Dollywood, you used to have dolly. You could not spend U.S. currency in Dollywood. You had to buy dolly dollars. And then they would let you spend dolly dollars. And, of course, everybody wanted to take at least one dolly dollar home with them as a souvenir. So, in essence, if you had 100,000 people a day go through there, everybody took home a, a, a piece of paper that was only worth a dollar inside that place. Yeah. <laughs> Money changers at Dolly, Dolly Parton. But they would do that, and they would exchange it, and they would charge incredible interest. Also, every, every Jew had to come pay basically a temple tax. It was like a shekel and a half. There was a very specific coin that had to be. It was the only one acceptable. If you don't have one, you got to buy one, which incidentally cost a little bit more than a shekel and a half. Okay? They were the, money, they were the bankers. They were the main loaners. In Jerusalem, because they had treasure. They had literally vaults, rooms filled with money. Okay? And they were the uh, primary. Animals do what? Sacrificial animals. Were well, that was the second there. thing, yeah, because you come in, only sacrificial animals that were perfect were acceptable for, for uh, 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 sacrifices. The priests were the ones who determined what was perfect or not. And so it was easy to go, nope, that one's out. You've got to go buy one that was raised yeah. over in Bethlehem yeah. from us. Okay? Well, what do I do with mine? I don't care what you do with it. You just ain't going to sacrifice it here. Take it away. All right? And they would charge a high amount for that. And that's what Jesus was getting. He's going, guys, this is wrong. His second time he deals in the temple, and i just got to go quick on this because we're out of time. It's in the court of women. There was a special place that only the women could go. Well, not only the women, but the women could only go. Right. Okay? Men could be there because it was actually right near the treasury, the, 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 where the, where the uh, monies was kept. In Mark chapter 12, we have the story of the widow woman who put the two coins in, and Jesus was amazed. She gave everything he had. That's where Jesus was hanging out because that's where this happened. It's the only place the woman could have been. She would not have been allowed in any other place in the temple. 
So it's just a unique thing that the two places that we hear about Jesus interacting in the temple are with the Gentiles and the women. We don't ever hear him in there with the Jews and the Pharisees and all of those guys. He would do it in the synagogues and other smaller towns he would go to. But in Jerusalem, he goes, these are the people I want to talk to. These are the people I want to be with. Which again, remember we talked about how Jesus and David's temple or David's tabernacle talked about the Gentiles are going to be brought in. Even the women are going to, it's, God's going to open it up. He's going to tear down this system <coughs> and the curtain being ripped and all of those things. Jesus was showing that his whole life and his whole ministry, even as he came into the temple. Yep. He's, he goes, where did he hang out? Court of the Gentiles, which might have been the only place they would let him. <laughs> to be honest, a priest and Pharisee, I don't want him in there. Um, and then uh, in the court of women, uh, with, with when again where the treasury was and that woman, uh, the, the the widow woman that we hear about. So guys, you think about Jesus. I just want to encourage you as we wrap. Think about him. He is the Lord, Son of God, Savior of the earth. He's also a man living in a culture, and all these things affect his ministries, and even sometimes affect what he says and why he says it about Bethsaida, about Nazareth, about the temple. There's a reason things were going on, and there are a lot of social and emotional and religious pressures pushing on everybody just like they are today. So if we want to be like Jesus, I want to examine his humanity to see how he reacted to these things so I can learn, well, how should I react as a human living in my culture with our political pressures or social pressures and situations? To really think of him not just as a Lord, but as a man who is tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. Amen?